This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. Boy, I'm going to tell you, I've got to get, get myself together here for a minute. That song just, woo, if I think about it, I'm going to start tearing up again. <laughs> that is an amazing song. Do you, did you listen to the words when you spoke it? Did you understand what it was saying? He is more. He's our portion. He is everything to us. I'm getting a little reverb. Let's see. I'm going to put this here. I'm going to show you just a small illustration. Those of you who know me, my name is Yvette. I always have some sort of illustration, and usually it involves a chain or something. Um. <laughs> but I want you to think about this. I want you to just imagine the little hook on this chain, or the big hook on this chain. If you're hooking a car, it's going to hold a lot. But the hook on this chain represents the time span that we spend here on Earth, in this planet. The rest of the chain... Think, if you will, and it could go on and on and on forever. This is eternity. Amen. All the way, and I could drag it around. It's like 50 foot, you know, but I don't, I'll trip over it eventually if I do that. But think of this chain as being eternity, millions and millions and millions of years after we're done here. In this little spot, this is all the time we have here. And we spend so much time here. We don't think about eternity because we're so distracted and we're so busy. And it's about, I have to do this, I have to do that. What about my retirement? I need to do this and that. In this small little span of life that we have here, which is not very much compared to the whole eternity of our lives. It's amazing because I have thought about this over and over about in my life, how I have worried and fretted over just the small span of life that I have here that he has given us. And it's interesting because what have I done with that small portion? It's inevitable. We're only going to be here for a little while. He is coming back, and he's coming back soon, I believe. I'm going to read you a story. It's, it is fiction, but it is based on a gentleman's testimony that he gave years ago in 2010. Pastor Jeremiah Stepek transformed himself into a homeless person and went to the 10,000-member church that he was to be introduced as the head pastor that morning. He would walk around as soon as he got there, to, as, soon as, he got, as soon as he arrived to church 30 minutes before, while it was filling up with the people for the service, only three people out of the seven to 10,000 people said hello to him. He asked people for change, to buy food, no one in the church gave him change. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in, in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please go sit in the back. Now, mind you, he's dressed like a homeless man. He greeted people to be greeted back with only stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such, and when all that was done, the elders went up and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepek, 
The congregation looked around, clapping with joy and anticipation. The homeless man, sitting in the back, stood up, started walking down the aisle. The clapping stopped with all eyes on him. He walked up, the altar, up to the altar and took the microphone from the elders who were in on this and paused for a moment. Then he recited, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we serve you, see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited the verse and he looked at them towards the congregation and told them all what he had experienced that morning, many began to cry and many heads were bowed in shame. He then said, today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become disciples. He then dismissed the service until the next week. Being a Christian is more than something you claim. It is something you live by and you share with others. Today, um, I would like to speak to you about what a Christian, what is, what is a Christian discipleship actually? And I, I entitled it, Calling All Disciples, that's what we're called to be, calling all disciples. When I say you when I'm speaking, please don't take it personal unless it pertains to you, because it's figuratively. I say you or us or we, so please don't take it personal. Followers of Jesus Christ sometimes look nothing like him. They act nothing like him, and they live nothing like him. I want you to take an inventory of your life and let me know how, if that is true. And I'd like you to write this down. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you everything. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. It's easier to die for Jesus than it is to live for him. If somebody came in, I'm sure we, you know, I'm a, I'm a retired law enforcement officer, but those of us that would get up and take charge would do whatever it took to, protect, took to protect everybody in here. But it would be easier to die for him than it is to live for him. Let's quit trying to give everyone the kingdom without the king. There are just some things he isn't going to allow and he doesn't like. And today may be a day you need to think about. What is Christian discipleship? By definition, a disciple is a follower, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. A Christian disciple is a person who accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news, the joyful news, the happy news 
of Jesus Christ. My brother said he's been going through some stuff, but he is still a disciple and will spread that news. Even though it's difficult, no matter what we're going through, we are to be joyful and spread that, his good news. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped not by those of us who get up here and speak and preach, but by the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's who they're equipped by, by the Holy Spirit, who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and the trials in this present life and become more and more Christ-like. I hear people say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And other people are seeing them, yeah, they're a Christian, but I don't want to be them because of the way we live. Sometimes I say I am a follower of Christ because Christian name is getting such a bad tag on it now. It's interesting because being Christ-like is what he's asking us to be. This process requires believers to respond to the Holy Spirit, prompting to examine our thoughts, our words, our actions, and compare them with the word of Jesus Christ. It needs to be compared to the word, not something that somebody tells you, go into this word and start diving in and get fed with the real stuff. In addition, we should always be ready to give a testimony of the reason for the hope that is within us, and that comes from 1 Peter 3.15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And to disciple others, to walk in his way. According to scripture, being a Christian disciple involves personal growth characterized by the following. I want you to know that I have a hard time with all this. I struggle. I struggle with being a disciple. I have been in elevators before and everybody's looking at the ground. And I'm looking at the ground with them. And then they look up and I'm looking up with them and I'm going. Finally, I finally decided because the Lord had us in an elevator once. And I'm looking down. And I finally looked up. I said, what are we looking at? You know, and I'm looking up. <laughs> Is there something up there I need to know? You know, and just tell them, have a blessed day. How many people cross your paths? You are a disciple and an ambassador for Christ. If you don't know what ambassador means, look it up. You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. My goodness, you are prince and princesses. You are royalty. We need to quit looking and living like we're not. And to be his disciple means to die to everything. You have to die to yourself. You can't keep living when you're dead. You're dead. I mean, think about it. You know, when we died to ourselves and said we were going to become Christians and we get baptized and buried into the water, we're buried into the water and we rise again. We're a new person at that point. We are a new creation in that point. And when I, um, and my brother also has said this many times, it's like, um, he has said, you know, when he has been in agony and praying and just, and just really travailing and, and, and in his spirit, he hears, why are you still living? You are a dead man. You died to yourself. What are you doing? And how can we disciple when people see we're Christians in that way? I'm going to give you five points. Discipleship is real important to me right now because I've been doing a lot of studying in the last few months and, and actually the last couple of weeks, um, more clarity has come than ever. Um, it is difficult for me because I can be self-centered. I can be all about me. I can be angry, bitter, resentful. 
I mean, if I'm in a, in a church setting and things take place, I'm like, well, you took my seat. I'm not coming back. You know, and it's like, and you know what? You took my parking space. I'm done. You know, this church is ridiculous. They keep, you know, that's my space, my seat. You know, we're talking about things that don't need to be. Be very careful. The Word of God is the Word of God. And if it's scripturally based, be very careful. As a disciple, putting Jesus first in all things is very important. And it says that in Mark 8, 34 through 38. And I'd like you to turn there if you can and just tell me amen when you got it. It again is Mark 8, 34 through 38. Just say amen when you've got it. Hmm. Putting Jesus first in all things. That means we can't be living wishy-washy. He's got to be first in all things. And that's where your joy comes from. It comes from him. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Wow. That right there in itself is like, ooh. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is the lifestyle you're living, the person you're married to, the person you're dating, your job, your financial portfolio... Is that more important than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory to his Father with the holy angels. That's a pretty intense scripture right there. You know, I believe if Jesus had a church in Orlando, this church would be larger than his. There'd be more people coming to this church than there would be to Jesus' church. Jesus was radical. He believed in what his father said. He sat there and would tell people, try to, tell, to work with them. He forgave people in situations that was despicable and unspeakable. And yet we walk around and point fingers at people or say things about them. Oh, she hurt herself? Hmm, good, she deserved that. Praise the Lord. You know, that's not, and don't go there because I have done it. I have been that Pharisee. I have sat there and thought, you know what, she deserves that, or he deserves that. You know, they're such idiots, they're jerks, they're this, they're that. You know, but praise the Lord, you know, they got what Jesus told them to get. That's exactly what it is. I'm telling you, I have had to do an inventory and check myself. Because I can be the worst of the worst. I am telling you, judgmentalism, backbiting, anger, bitterness, resentment, you know, just is amazing. And Jesus, his church would be empty because he would tell you, what are you doing? That's not being Christ-like. And people would go, oh, well, you're too difficult to follow. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. 
People left. He had a whole crowd following him, and they all left. And he looked at the 12 and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, where can we go? You have the words. Everybody. Do you realize he fed a lot of people and gave a lot of message? And because of some of the things, they just felt mm, uncomfortable with, well, I, I don't want to give up my nightly stuff that I do with my boyfriend and I. I don't want to give up my maybe taking a little cut of money. I'm going to keep one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. And when he splits those eastern skies, he can't split you with it. He can't, well, I'll take the side that's with me and we'll leave the other half. That doesn't work that way. You are a disciple of Christ. You are a follower that accepts and will assist in spreading his gospel message. I mean to tell you, he is an amazing God, and there should be gladness, and there should be joy in this, and there shouldn't be. If there is condemnation in that, get over yourself. Ask for repent, repent, ask for forgiveness, and move on. He needs you for such a time as this. Putting Jesus first, the disciples of Christ need to be set apart from the world, which means you can't come to church tonight and go to the club, today and go to the clubs later and, and you know, act crazy. Oh, but we're so bored. Life is boring. All right. <laughs> it's all about you. But it isn't about you. Get over yourself and get on with it. You are a dead man, a dead woman walking. Quit living. Those are quotes from my brother. <laughs> the disciples of Christ needs to be set apart from the world. Our focus should be on our Lord and pleasing him in every area of our life. We must put self-centeredness and put on Christ-centeredness. If you don't understand that, get in front of a mirror and take an inventory of what you see. Because who do you see in that mirror when you look in the mirror? Who do you see when you look in the mirror? Yourself? There you go. And until you see Christ, keep looking. Because when that reflection looks back and it's Jesus, you're getting there. You're getting there. When you don't have to sit here, and I struggled with an eating disorder for many years, and it still battles me every once in a while. When I looked in that mirror, I didn't see what I liked. I didn't see what I saw. I could be 100 pounds and still think I, didn't, I needed to lose more weight. My perception of me is not good. His perception of me is perfect because he loves us. He loves us with an undying love. There is nothing wrong with any of us. You know if Jesus had a church, I told you that, would probably be, ours would probably be bigger than his because he is radical. Jesus is radical. He's cool. He would tell you something. All these people that were with him, when he said about the salt being flavorless or being salty, He's looking at them going, there's only, and then he would say at the end of some of these, I want you to read some of these verses. He would say, those who have ears, let them hear. The ones that he said that to were the one disciples, the disciples that were following him that would get it. The other ones are like, I have no use for this. You're my disciples. We are his disciples. Number two, following Jesus' teachings, John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus said to the whole, that to the, who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will keep you bored. Oh, it doesn't say that. 
if you remain faithful to my teachings, the ones that you like. No, it doesn't. If you remain faithful to my teachings, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. He's not kidding. He's coming back, and you may have brought 10 people to the Lord, and I'm going to tell you, if you are not his disciple in his eyes and God's eyes and not on your own eyes, I never knew you was really going to stink. You know, and I asked about a few weeks ago, I said, my gosh, Lord, am I going to hear that? Because I had some doubt rolling. I, ha I was, I mean, it was, it was rolling with me. I had some doubt. I'm going, oh my goodness. And I had to do an inventory check of, my gosh, doesn't matter how many places I've spoke, where I've gone. To hear those words, I never knew you. I mean, there are going to be those ones that are going to think, oh, I got this. I've kept the Sabbath, paid my tithe, did this, did that, da, da, da. Mm -mm. Please, I implore you to do an inventory and get into this word about discipleship. Get into the word about it. It does say, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why do we keep chaining ourselves to this little part of our life, that little lifespan of maybe 85, 90 years if we're blessed, 100 and something if we're really blessed, but right here is our life and all eternity is completely on and on and on. Fruitfulness. Our job is not to produce the fruit. Our job is to abide in Christ. And if we do, the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit. John 15, 5 through 10. Go ahead and come on over to that one. John 15, 5, I'm sorry, 5 through 8. Yeah, it's not our job to produce the fruit, but the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit. And the fruit, the fruit that he produces will be from the result of our obedience. You understand that? If we're obedient to him, it'll be that. If we've done things that are less than desirable to God, repent, ask forgiveness, and then move on. There is no condemnation or, or shame or anything in Christ Jesus. Mm, I'm telling you. 15, 5 through 8 says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Oh my goodness. If you know anything about plants, if you've ever seen branches that y'all have had that fallen in the yard, or if you've cut them off the tree and you burn them, they're not useful anymore. They're, they're done. You have already been pruned, is one part that it says in the Bible here. It says you have already been pruned, so remember that. For apart from me, you can do nothing apart from Jesus. Not apart from your religion, not apart from your church, not apart from your job. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like the useless branches and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my, my words from his word remains in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples this brings great joy to my Father. And this brings great glory to God Almighty. You have got to know whose you are. You need to inhale His Word every day. You need to take it in, breathe it in, 
and exhale it to others. Breathe in the word of God and breathe it out for others to have. Why are we keeping it to ourselves? We are to be out here, out of these pews. I understand y'all are going to go, you know, you do things during the day. On Sabbath day, you go reach others out there. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. That's what we are to do. We are to come out of our comfort zone and be in areas that are less likely that we would be in and hand out the things that we need to do. Pray, pray with them. Go to Eola Park. There's a ton of people down there. Go down there and reach them. Go to our college campus. I work on a college campus. Trust me. And I have kids that will come in my office and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And it's like, sure, go ahead. And I'll close the door and lock it. Hopefully none of my guys come in. You know, because they're like, is that in? You know, it's like, I just, you know, it's tight. God first, the rest later. And when you stand up for him as a disciple, you may be looked down on. It will cost you everything. Your family could turn against you. Your friends could turn against you. Your workers, your co-workers, your boss may tell you. You're going to have to understand that following Christ will cost you everything, even your life. You already died to yourself when you got baptized, right? There goes your fleshly life, supposedly. Why do we pick it back up and keep running with it? Number four, and there's only one more after this, love for other disciples, John 13, 34 through 35. And that's just one page back. 34 through 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. He's not saying, I want y'all to think about something. I want you to just let me know what you think about this idea. He is saying, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, period. It has a period there. Love each other. Well, you don't know what she's done. You have no idea how she is or how, what he's done and he did this and he did Love each other. God loved us even when we were in our worst sin. He never put a boundary up going... When you come out of your sin, we'll talk about this love. But right now, I'm so mad at you, I can't love you at all. That's not God. That's not the love of Jesus. Maybe there's a test in that, in what you're feeling or what you're going through. It says, love each other. Next line, just as I have loved you, you should love each other, period. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. There you go. I'm telling you, this disciple thing is, it is so cool because that's who we are. My goodness, do you realize what kind of a job that is? We may not have a dime to our name, but we still can be witnessing to people at the same time. You may be stripped of everything, and hopefully you're stripped of all your fleshly junk, and you may not have a thing either, but go and give God to somebody. Don't sit there and wait. You may be the only Jesus that they see. You may be the only person. I was over um, out of the country a few weeks ago, and I spoke about something, and I had mentioned that during my time after I had got injured in the line of duty as a cop, that the thought of suicide did cross my mind. And it was not a good thing. It was a bad, dark time. And I had people like Wanda and Cheryl and people calling, just checking in, just checking in. But I isolated myself. That's the worst thing a disciple can do is isolate themselves. Don't isolate yourself. 
And when I sat there and mentioned this, this young woman came up to me. I had no idea, you know, who she was, obviously. And she had said she's a law enforcement officer in the islands there. And she said, I was going home this afternoon to do that very thing. Now, come on. I, I, I didn't have anything to do with That was a God thing. That had nothing to do with me. And I sat there and talked to her because she was angry and bitter of what was going on at work, the politics, the government issues. And then her husband was leaving. And then two, you know, two weeks prior, her nephew had done the same thing because there's children in the room, I won't say it. But he had done this in front of his little sister with one of these. You know, I mean, come on. So she was really battling some stuff. It just took one thing to sit down with her and say, let me, let me sit down with you and talk till 1 o'clock in the morning. I didn't do much talking. I just did a lot of listening. I do like to talk, but that time I needed to listen. I am his disciple. Jesus was very quiet until he would say just a few things, and then he would listen. And then people would ponder, and then they would leave him because they didn't like what he said. They're not going to like what you say. I didn't come to entertain you, and I'm not candy coating none of it. Time is of the essence this, this, if you haven't noticed, the world's growing darker and evil, more so than ever. And I am not here to tell you, oh, but we can just keep one foot in the world ah, and one foot out here. We can do this. You can't do it. Make a decision today. And whatever that decision is, stay, just do what you got to do. But make a decision and quit blaming everybody else. And quit making things about the church. A church isn't perfect. It's for people to come into, to be helped and healed. None of us got it right. And we won't have it right till we get there. Amen. We are told that the love of other believers is evidence in our being a member of God's family. You realize there's other believers in other denominations, right? You do understand that there are other people out there that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God is their Father and the Holy Spirit and believe that there is those, there's only one true God, even though they're not our religion. You know our religion's not going to save us. You understand that. Your relationship with Jesus Christ and doing what he's asked you to do is to do it. And you can walk out of here today not changed, and that's fine. But when you walk out of here today, I pray I pray that you will look at things and look at it a little differently. Because when you leave here, we got to be different. they got to see something different out here. They can't keep seeing the same old thing. We have to die to ourselves. You may have to tell your boyfriend, you know what, ain't happening no more, sorry. You know? And he may tell you, you know what, I've learned something. I can't do this anymore. Or you may go to work and say, I am not going to continue to denounce my Lord because you have an issue with it. You may have to stand up for something. They'll say, get out of here. Leave. I'm not dating you anymore. I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm not going to, you're not going to work here anymore. They may do that. You know what? He's a big God. He's got your back. He's got your back. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers do not belong to God. Love is defined and elaborated on in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you'll just turn there, I have just a little bit more and then I will close. 13, 1 through 13. And we know this chapter very well. The verses show us that love is not an emotion, it's an action. And we must be doing something that involves a process. 
And I'm sure you guys could probably recite this one. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever listened to a clanging cymbal that somebody does not know how to play? Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> if I had the gifts of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge... And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. <laughs> Guess what I did? I just gave $10,000 to this church. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Number four, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it takes no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Ne love never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Your circumstances don't define you and neither does your past. It's not about what's back here. It's about now. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. What he is saying is all this is, you know, meaningless here. When I was, caught, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things away. You're not on milk anymore, folks. How many of y'all have been in the Adventist church about 20 years? In church in general. How many of you have been in church about 10 years? About five years? Four years? Y'all been in church. I'm talking just in church. Y'all been in a church. You're not on milk anymore. All that, I know is, all that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The next verse comes out of Philippians, but really it sums up what we're supposed to be when it comes down to everything in this life. What a perfect example it is. Our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. We are to do what he did in our walk. The last part is evangelism, making disciples of others. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples that you reach. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, this stuff's either true or it ain't. <laughs> 
It's either real or it's not. Either that book is real and it's true, or it's just a bunch of fairy tale garbage and we don't even need to be picking it up. But let me tell you something. I choose to believe that book is real and what he is telling you is to get out here and get it done and get over yourselves. Quit looking at yourself as you can't do it or because of this or because of that. You are a disciple of Christ. What are you going to do with that? What in the world are you going to do with it? Run with it. If you have a past, use it. Use your mess as your message and your test as your testimony and tell people how he saved you, what he has done in your life. Not what you've done. It has nothing to do with us. We are to share our faith and tell non-believers about the wonderful changes Jesus Christ has made in our lives. We are to be a walking billboard for God. We are, people should see him shining and radiating from us. The joy of the Lord, not the frown of the Lord or the financial you know, problems of the Lord. No, the joy of the Lord. I had a lady one day, I said, well, how are you doing today? Praise God, I'm blessed. I'm like, well, why don't you tell your face? And she looked at me, and she came to me, and this was down there too where I was at, out of the country, and she said, my goodness, nobody has ever said that to me. And she said, I went home and I cried. And I said, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And she said, I needed someone to be honest with me and tell me. I have been really hurting because her grandson was the one child. And she said, I've always kept this staunch face. Thank you so much. And she said, I do have the joy of the Lord because he brought it to me in my prayer time. And I just hugged her. I mean, her and I are now, uh, we talk to each other on, on the internet. We talk to one another and we encourage one another. Encourage one another. Quit beating each other down. Encourage one another. Lift each other up. Quit pointing fingers and saying this, that, and the other about one another. Lift each other up. Give the joy of the Lord to somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. It's not yours to keep. No matter what our maturity level in Christian life is, we have something to offer. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 80 years old or 108 years old. You have a purpose and plan right now in this little hook of life that you have left. And until we quit sucking wind, we got to be doing something for him. Seriously. Too often we believe the lie from Satan that we don't really have enough or haven't been Christian long enough to make a difference. Not true. Some of the most enthusiastic representatives of the Christian life are new believers who have just discovered the awesome love of God. And sometimes then the church will get behind them and say, uh, you need to quit talking like that. You can't be doing that. We're to encourage one another. Our new believers need to see Christ in us too. They may not know a lot about Bible verses or accept the accepted way of saying things, but they have experienced the love of a living God, and that is exactly what we are to share. Jesus Christ is alive. We always talk about the cross, but he is a risen Savior. He's alive. The cross is good, but let's talk about the live God because we keep trying to give the kingdom and not give the king. You know, and so what I'm asking you to do is I'm challenging you to do is take an inventory of your life, see where you're at, and see where things could be different. Husbands and wives do it together and do it independently. I am, I am imploring you to become a real disciple of the follower and a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters in here. I thank you for the kids in here. 
I thank you for the, the families and everybody that's in here, Lord God, represented. Father, I know that in my own life, I have not been the disciple that you have called me to be. And of that, I am sorry. But I know that you are working it out and that you will continue to work it. And Father God, I know that there's people in here that are also having a difficult time with just things that are going on. So Lord, I ask you to just open up their eyes. Holy Spirit, give them the wisdom and the understanding that they need. Take the scales off and unstop their ears. Let them get in your word and see a whole new joyful message that they see you, Father. They don't see an angry, dead God. They see a live God. You, Jesus, living in them. Purge from us things that are not of you, Lord God, and remove it in the name of Jesus. And fill us with your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you're in us the moment we've asked and we gave our life to the Lord. You've been in us. Continue to be in us. Forgive us when we've quenched you. And I just thank you, God. I just give you glory and honor for everything that you've done. Even the hard times, the bad times, but in the joyful times, the valley experiences and the mountaintop experience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We give you all the glory and honor. We get over ourselves and we move on for you, Jesus. We're in a battle. And you are our leader. You're our example. And the enemy has already been defeated. We're just waiting for you to come get us back. So teach us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Disciple us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.